The management of memory. One, what things are to be remembered. Two, in what order they are to be remembered. Three, how they can be remembered. Section one, what things are to be remembered. It would be no use to acquire knowledge by reading and reflection would be impossible if memory did not retain and present to us at the opportune moment whatever is to be of service to our work and to our mental operations. Many great men were endowed with prodigious memories. Others were deficient in this respect. The majority had indifferent memories and were obliged to make up for the limitation in various ways. One cannot class the great masters by this faculty, but it is nevertheless certain that, other things being equal, a richly filled and tenacious memory is a precious resource. Let us not conclude that we must exercise the memory indiscriminately and load our minds with the greatest possible number of notions, facts, images, passages from books. It might seem that St. Thomas recommends this when he writes in his 16 precepts, lay up in the treasury of your mind all that you can, like a man aiming at filling a vessel. We must understand this brief maxim with an implied reservation. We must remember everything that we can on condition that it is useful. As with the same reservation, we read everything we can. We have put the intellectual on his guard against the abuse of reading. Our objections on that score apply largely here also, seeing that remembering means preserving acquisitions inseparable both from their advantages and their harmfulness. All our masters tell us that to overload the memory is injurious to personal thought and to attention. The mind gets bogged in the mass of its material. What it does not use encumbers and paralyzes it. The dead weight oppresses the living personality. Excessive food is a poison. We have the proof of it in the great number of people with pretensions to erudition, whose minds are warped and inactive, in so many of those we call living libraries and walking dictionaries. We do not live by memory. We use our memory to live. Engrave on your mind whatever can help you to conceive or carry out a project, whatever your soul can assimilate, whatever can serve your purpose, vivify your inspiration, and sustain your work. As for the rest, consign it to oblivion. And if it is possible that on occasion, many things may be useful which did not seem likely to be so, and in fact are not usually so, that is not a reason for saying, let us remember them on the off chance. If need be, you will look them up again. They will easily be preserved on paper. On the pretext that you may have to catch any train, you do not learn the railway guide by heart. Pascal said that he did not think he had ever forgotten a thing that he wanted to remember. That is the right sort of memory, on condition that one wants to remember only what is useful. When St. Augustine defines happiness as desiring nothing but the good and having all that one desires, he is equally defining the best kind of memory. Entrust to yours all that is good. Ask God to give you, if he will, the grace of Pascal, that of St. Thomas, 
in whom nothing went to waste, or that of Mozart, who after one hearing reproduced a whole solemn mass. But I repeat that such a grace is not necessary. One can supply its place without suffering any real harm. And what is the good of trying to estimate its value, seeing that we have to make use of what has been given us, not of what we lack? It is a capital rule to bring the memory into the general current of our intellectual life, to make it share in our vocation. Memory, like the mind itself, should specialize in the same degree with the same concentration on the principal object and the same broad outlook on secondary matters. There are things that everyone must know that in particular every Catholic must keep in mind. There are things that an intellectual cannot afford to be ignorant of. There are others connected more or less closely with our special subject that each person will feel the need of possessing according to the breadth or narrowness of mind that he brings to them. Lastly, there are things essentially belonging to our special subject, without which we are beneath our task and properly accused of ignorance and culpable inertia. What each one must try to keep in the forefront of his mind and available at a moment's need is what forms the basis of his work, what for that reason all the eminent men in his calling know. In this matter, no negligence is permissible, and these things should be acquired with the least possible delay. The rest of what is required for a particular task will be picked up by degrees without too much effort to fix it permanently. In both cases, it is clear that the mental recording starts from a preconceived idea, as our reading does. There is only this difference, that a particular piece of work is the vocation of the moment, while our vocation is lasting work, and the memory adapts itself to each. Nicole suggests to the religious man to learn by heart various psalms and texts of Holy Scripture, in order to sanctify the memory by these divine words. It is a way of setting the seal on the heavenly vocation common to all of us and of facilitating our effort after good. Nowadays, very few people understand such advice. A man will declaim long passages from Virgil, Racine, Musset, who would be hard put to it to recite a psalm who does not know his Angelus, his Salve Regina, his Te Deum, or Magnificat. That is evidently out of order. What is riveted in our mind by memory has more effect on us. A Catholic must desire that effect to be greatest with regard to what enlivens his faith. It would help him so much if he could from time to time during the day, or when occasion arises, repeat to himself forms of words full of Christian faith and devotion. Section 2. In what order they are to be remembered. Having once settled how much is to be remembered, we must think of the order to be adopted. One's memory must not be chaos. Science, scientia, is knowledge through causes. The worth of every experience depends on its connections, its grouping with other experiences, its place in a graded scale of values. 
merely to accumulate recollections is to make them all unusable and inevitably to recover them only by chance. It is obvious that an intellectual memory should have the characteristics of intellectuality. Now, the intellect is not satisfied with a medley of notions that have no precise affinities. Look always for what connects this thing with that, what conditions are necessary for this and for that. Let this coordination and not scattered fragments fix itself in your memory. A well-ordered mind is like a genealogical tree in which all the branches spring from the trunk and so communicate with one another. Relationships of every degree appear clearly in it, showing family descent in all its connections and as a whole. That means that in memory, as in thought itself, we must bring everything into relation with what is essential. The primordial, the fundamental, the simple. Whence complexity arises step by step and through successive differences is what supports memory as it does knowledge and makes it efficient at the moment when it has to come into play. It is of no use to have acquired myriads of notions if our primary notions, instead of being enriched by the dependent points that memory reveals in them, are simply obstructed by these and remain more utterly and fatally alone. 50 data are no better than one if they all stand only in the same relation to the fundamental idea uncoordinated they remain fruitless and like the fig tree in the gospel they merely cumber the ground hold fast above all as we have said that we must seek above all the leading conceptions let them be always present at call ready to throw light on everything new that comes before you to keep the old ideas in their place in spite of new material let these conceptions themselves grow and expand with every progress. As the brain profits by food entering the stomach, the heart by the exercise of the limbs. A new idea acts retrospectively. A torch throws its light behind as well as before. Materials that were laid aside take on a new aspect when they are classified by means of an idea. Then everything within us is reborn and animated with a new life. But for that to happen, the paths of light must be open. Our thoughts must be in order and linked consecutively one with another. When we have put order in mind and memory, we shall be almost automatically protected from excessive strain. And we shall notice that two apparently distinct precepts are, as it were, but one. What is useless, what finds room in chaos, finds none in an organized whole. It must either serve or go. There is something ridiculous in the effort made by a thing, as by a person, to intrude into an arrangement where it has no place, which it does not complete or serve. Every hierarchy sees to the policing of its own domain. Thus relieved of useless burdens and properly ordered, the mind will be able to devote itself to its work with all its strength. It will go straight to what bears on its purpose and will not waste time over trifles. Though these, it is true, may be the principal object of attention for someone else.
When Pasteur arrived in the South to combat the disease threatening French sericulture, which he was soon to overcome, he did not know the habits of the silkworm. He asked some rather casual questions of the great entomologist Henri Fabre. Fabre was surprised at first at the apparent superficiality of the Parisian, but soon, seeing that Pasteur was going deeper and working on the very springs of life, he understood, and later he praised this single-mindedness of genius. There are in every subject matter a few ideas that govern the whole, that are keys to everything. There are some also that govern life, and before these we must light the sanctuary lamp within our hearts. The creative faculty largely depends on the wisdom and controlled activity of the memory. A firm grip of what is essential leaves the outlook open along every path, and what has been acquired tends to grow logically by taking up new matter. Thoughts become the starting point of new thoughts. Water flows into the river. Rich people can always borrow. To everyone that hath shall be given, and he shall abound, declares the gospel. Every truth is the dawn of another. Every possibility seeks its realization. And when interior order is ready to profit by new experience, it is like a root piercing deep down into the earth. Its substance gets active. Its fibers spread and drink in nourishing juices. Life develops because the adaptation of the living thing to its setting is the single condition of its fertility, as it is at the outset of its substance. The setting of our knowledge is the cosmos, and this is itself organization, structure. In order that the man of study may make progress, it is necessary, and it suffices, that he should set up in himself, thanks to memory, a corresponding structure which enables him to adapt himself and thereby to act. Section 3. How can they be remembered? It remains to say how such a memory can be acquired and how it can be turned to account. That is not a very great secret, although it is bound up with the most fundamental conditions of the life of our mind. St. Thomas proposes four rules. One, to set in order what one wants to remember. Two, to apply the mind deeply to it. Three, to think over it often. Four, when one wants to recollect it, to take the chain of connections by one end, which will bring the rest with it. He adds accessorily, following Cicero, that it is a good thing to connect the memory of intellectual things with that of sensible things. For these latter, he says, are the proper object of the intellect and belong to memory of themselves, the others indirectly by accident. The importance of order has already been stressed from another point of view, but everyone has probably had experience of its efficacy for fixing a recollection. A string of unconnected words numbers, ideas, or elements, is hard to get into our heads. These isolated notions do not settle in. Each is, as it were, lost and promptly vanishes. On the contrary, a series holds together and has power of resistance. Anything that rests on its own proper reason and its natural group that is rooted in its setting runs less risk of being lost.
A thing must exist in order to be preserved, and an element separated from its kindred elements only half exists. So when you want to remember, notice the connections and the reasons of things. Analyze them. Look for the why and wherefore. Observe the genealogy of happenings, their order of succession, and their dependent consequences. Imitate the procedure of mathematics in which necessity starts from the axiom and arrives at the most distant conclusions. Fully to understand a thing, then to learn and to introduce into one's mind, not fragments, not loose links, but a chain, is to make sure of the sticking quality of the whole. Union is strength. The mental application recommended in the second place has for its purpose to make us lean heavily on the mysterious graving tool which traces the shape of words and things within us. The keener our attention is, the more deeply are the lines engraved, and the better they will resist the continual flux which tends to replace ideas, as death replaces beings by others. When you read or listen with a view to learning, be wholly present and concentrated. Repeat to yourself as if aloud what is said to you. Accent every syllable. I am speaking figuratively, but sometimes there are advantages in doing it literally. Be ready, as soon as you have read or heard the thing, to repeat it exactly and as far as you want to fix it in your memory. If it is a book, do not leave it without being able to sum it up and to estimate its value. I add this last suggestion because the object that has roused us to active intervention is much less fugitive. It has a link with our personality. Next, a necessity following on the previous one is to reflect as often as is possible and as is worthwhile on the object to be preserved from oblivion. Life obliterates the traces of life. And for that reason, we were advised to engrave deeply the same motive urges us, saying that nevertheless the traces grow dimmer, to run the tool over the lines again, to apply plenty of acid to the etching, that is, constantly to revivify our useful thoughts and to ruminate on the facts that we want to keep before our eyes. Agitation of mind is opposed to this operation, and therefore a peaceful life, passion-free, is necessary for the good use of memory as for all the intellectual functions. The faculties of admiration and youth of soul in face of nature and life also contribute to memory. We retain better what has struck us. For this reason, along with many others, the intellectual should cultivate that sense of the newness, the freshness of things, which is the starting point for a vigorous urge toward fruitful creation or research. Lastly, if we want to recall a memory and to revive old images, we are advised once again to take advantage of that fact of mutual dependence between thoughts and impressions on which we have based the constitution of our memory. Everything is more or less linked together in the brain, even without our willing it. When we have willed it with all our power and diligently established the most natural connections possible between notions, we shall reap the profit. We must not then search at random in a hole which was not forged at random. We must proceed logically, 
utilizing the logic of things as it reveals itself inescapably, or as we have conceived it in the beginning, going up or down the series we have formed, making use of contiguous ideas, of circumstances, in short, bringing back deliberately under the pencil beam of attention what attention had fixed and stored up according to its laws. That is what St. Thomas calls pulling on the chain, and the end of the chain that he advises us to take hold of is that which presents itself as most immediately dependent on what we are seeking. For example, I remember that I thought of a plan of study. The plan escapes my memory, but I know that at the moment I was in such a place, or that I was talking to such a friend, or that it was connected with such a group of mental operations, such an aspect of my vocation. Or again, that my plan had been inspired by some previous reading, or was made necessary by some preceding work. To recover the vanished idea, I will recall the impression of the place, the friendly company, the group of ideas to which this one belonged, the part it was to play, the book that had been analyzed, or the work done. Starting from that point, I will explore in every direction, and by various efforts I will try to find what I know was linked with one or other of these circumstances. To sum up, what matters about memory is not so much the number of things it retains, as first, their quality, then their order, and lastly, skill in using them. Materials are hardly ever lacking to thought. It is thought that it is lacking to the materials. To learn is nothing at all without intelligent assimilation, orderly connection, the progressive unity of a rich and well-ordered soul. What is interesting is not the workyard, it is the structure, and most of all, the spirit of the dweller in the house. Keep your inspiration lofty, your attention keen. Be sensitively responsive to truth. Be eager in research, and you will remember enough.